Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome into Attacking Third. It is our final episode before the World Cup final on Sunday. I'm Jenny Chu. This is Lisa Carlin, Christine Kupo, and Darian Jenkins here. And it is a Friday, so it is footy cup kit Friday here at the Network. I know it's a Friday, so I'm already stumbling over my words. Darian, tell us what you're wearing today. I went with the Columbus Crew kit. This is a lovely gift from the Nationwide team and thought I'd rock it today. Well, matchy-matchy again. I we have taste, we're connected, right? right? That's what it is. Christine. The chemistry here. Um, <laughs> come on, you gunners. I, I got to link up with my North London loves uh, a bit in LA. And so I got this gifty gift, which is fitting in my personality, I think. We tried to go for maximum loudness <laughs> and brightness today. So and I, the statement I, pants. It matches perfectly. Yeah, the pants are <laughs> statement <laughs> pants. Do you understand how hard I had to hunt for pants this bright? <laughs> I was wondering whether you had the pants first or the kit first. The kit first. Oh, kit first. okay. Well, now you got a great excuse to wear them. Uh, NWSL is back. The regular season returns. So, of course, I had to rock some NWSL gear. Darian with the hard eyes over there for Love it. Orlando Pride girlies. This was a gift from the team. So, thank you, Orlando Pride. But, yeah. NWSL is back, baby. NWSL is back. We're going to preview some of those segments later. Um, but, oh, my <laughs> kit. I'm rowing Croatia, everybody. Um, as we know, our boss is Croatian. Shout so out to Pete. Shout out Pete. Uh, I'm repping. I'm repping. I like that one. I'm repping like the good one. That's a nice one. It's yeah. gorgeous. It's yeah. It is beautiful. a gorgeous. Like this is something you could wear out and about. Mm -hmm. It's not too loud. You guys over there doing a lot. <laughs> oh, you wouldn't wear that you're out. Doing a lot. Jenny, no. we gotta give the kicks an appreciation <laughs> yeah. too. You. I like them. Darian, you're the only one. Thank you. I really do. She's giving pant appreciation, shoe appreciation. Darian's feeling the love today. I don't know what's in the water. <laughs> going on? All right, guys, the biggest story that came out since we were on on Thursday is that Vladko Andonovsky is out as the U.S. women's national team head coach via a mutual agreement with U.S. soccer. He stated that it was the honor of his life to coach the U.S. women's national team and is optimistic about the future of the program. Christine, I want your initial reactions on this news. It was, it was expected. It was probably due far sooner. I think that we can probably refer to this period of U.S. women's national team history as experimental because we never really arrived at a go-forward plan. I think it was always kind of a bit of a juggle. But 
we will move forward. I, I'm optimistic. We have the talent. I think we just need to get the right manager in place now. And we have probably an exhaustive list of possible candidates. And maybe some of them are even reasonable, not fantasy. There you go. Well, some of them are off the table now. We have learned about Serena Vegman, but we'll get more into that a little bit later. For now, their interim head coach, Twyla Kilgore, will coach the next two friendlies in September. Explain that to me, Lisa. So Twyla Kilgore, she has been uh, with this program as an assistant under Black Wadonofsky, so she is the next possible candidate. So she'll replace her as interim, and she will be with the team in September. They play two friendlies against South Africa. Those were supposed to be victory tour celebrations mm -hmm. for this United States team. So the roster for those two friendlies in September will be the same as the World Cup roster, as stated in the US WNT CBA that they have, that these are the same players that they will go forward with. Uh, this is not the permanent solution for U.S. soccer and for this team moving forward. There will be a change, but this is the next logical step for Twyla Kilgore. There's definitely a dark joke about continuity in there yeah. that I want to make. So <laughs> but yeah, this might be the most consistent <laughs> over competition roster that we'll see then. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yes, and it's the last and the time proposed for fans. victory tour. It's the last time for fans to go out and, yeah. and see Megan Rapinoe. Uh, Julie Ertz yeah. talked about how this was the last time that she will yep. be wearing the U.S. crest on her jersey. Alex Morgan says she'll be back, but it's still a great chance for fans to see this core of players that they will never see again. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Um, when we talk about Vladko and Donovsky's tenure, Darian, what went wrong here? Because in major tournaments, they have, he had three wins in ten matches. That was a big talking point for that. Yeah, I mean, we talked about game plan and tactics and giving the players the framework to have the confidence to make those adaptations in the run of play and not in between camps and games and tournaments. We've had the Olympics and the World Cup and not much has changed regarding tactics and our style of play and chemistry between players, which should have been far more adapted with the amount of time that the U.S. has had to get to these points. And we've said previously on the show, it's a big wake-up call for U.S. soccer in general. And all of these other federations are stepping up. We're seeing the competitions becoming more level. And it's just kind of the kick that we really need to separate ourselves again to the level that we know we can actually be with all of the resources, especially when you compare the resources that U.S. soccer has compared to these other federations that we're seeing now after the World Cup, what they went through. Some teams are sharing beds mm -hmm. at tournaments. You would never hear that with U.S. soccer. No. So with these circumstances, I think this is the, the chasm that we needed to affect real change and separate ourselves once again. Vlachlan Anofsky needed to establish stability with the team, the roster, the rotation months mm -hmm. before this Women's World Cup. If we're just looking over the last month with Vlach Wanonofsky in Australia, there were tactical decisions that failed. There was a lack of substitute rotation, a lack of youth playing on this side. There are players that never saw the light of day. Alyssa Thompson had minutes at this World Cup. Ashley Sanchez, there were players playing out of position. Julie Ertz playing in the back line. Alex Morgan playing in, as a withheld false nine. That's not her role. That's not mm -hmm. what she's meant to do. Um, not unexpected at all that Black Wadonofsky is out. Turn the chapter. It's a new page because they're the Olympics in Paris in less than 12 months for this team. Right. I think that in a lot of ways we can probably look back at this and see it as more we've been victims of our own optimism because we let it go beyond that Olympic bronze, which was mm. falling far mm -hmm. short of what we're expected and what that talent is capable of providing for anybody. And we kind of just kept giving it more time. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, guys, it has been reported today by the Equalizer that the general manager, Kate Markgraf, will not renew her expiring contract. That decision was made prior to the World Cup. So that leads me to where does the U.S. program go from here? There's a lot of places this program can go, but ultimately they have to hire a coach that is capable, has experience at the international level, has extreme experience with success. Uh, I'm not saying it has to be a female, but since the year 2000, all but one major women's tournament, that's the Women's World Cup, the Olympics, the Women's Euros, have been won by teams coached Ooh. by a woman. Ooh, that's a great set, fact. Lisa. That Thank is a great you. set. You know, one of the things is, as we get deeper into this, um, we talk about the professionalism around the world. We talk about how the European teams have a women's team in WPS. Um, they're tagged along with um, the Premier League. When we talk about Spain, they have uh, the women's team that is tagged along with the Barcelona, the Real Madrid. We don't have that here in the United States. And I think that that's something to mention, that there's facilities, there are certain things that are available to the men's clubs that can be shared with the women's club if that was happening here with MLS and NWSL and that, that combination, potentially. No? It's a possibility for sure. I think that the United States sets the standard at the international level up until this World Cup, I should preface, mm -hmm. I guess. And you look how the trickle-down effect, the U.S. youth programs have a lot of success. They have a lot of resources as well that go into them. The NWSL, the professional domestic league here in the States, has uh, a lot of resources. It's continuing to expand. There are a lot of advantages that the U.S. has that other nations don't have. However, to lead the United States women's national team is a very large job that a lot of people don't want. So there needs to be more incentives as to what you're going to give them, whether it's the resources of being able to bring up those youth players from the systems into the national team at the senior level and continuing to develop and knowing that you're going to have the staff around you that supports you as a head manager and the players so that the players are only focused on playing soccer and winning. I think it's really interesting when we talk about that youth. Um, we talk about Spain winning the U-17 and the U-20s with a player like Salma Parayuelo. That's Spain winning. Um, we talk about the dominance that the U.S. has shown at the youth levels. They don't have that anymore. I mean, everything, as you say, is a trickle-down, is a continuous um, ascension from that. And how do we make it so that our youth in the United States is making the jump as well? And what do we need to change? As a nation, in the women's game, we have long dominated on physical aspects, mm -hmm. and that has come to change, and there has to be a change at a fundamental and foundation level for things to change. But that's a whole conversation that I could talk about forever. So <laughs> we'll move on so I don't steal this. Um, but Gianni Infantino, FIFA president, made uh. some comments ahead of the World uh. Cup final. Take a listen. Pick the right battles. Pick the right fights. You have the power to change. You have the power to convince us men what we have to do and what we don't have to do. You do it, just do it. With me, with FIFA, you will find open doors. Just push the doors. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Christine, just push the door. Just push the door. We've been pushing the door. Uh, in football, outside of football, our entire lives we've been pushing the door. What I wanna know is why it's necessary for women to push the doors. We're engaged in a global sport that men also participate in, where the rules have not differed, nor pitch size, nor the ball, nor the goals. There's absolutely no fundamental reason to expect that we should 
make concessions where the men haven't, nor should there be the expectation that we ask for things that should be expected mm -hmm. as a universal. So to be dictated to yet again from somebody who has a seat at the table, that we should be asking the right ways at the right times for the right things, it's an insurmountable task, and it's so unfair to women's global soccer and football, however you want to call it, that this is still a realistic expectation and argument in 2023. And the fact that the women should be pushing the doors means that the men are still building the house, living in the house, holding the keys to the house and the keys to that door that the women need to push This down. is the worst kingdom ever. And <laughs> he's saying this in the biggest position of power to affect change. And later in his speech, he acknowledges, yeah, women's soccer has grown and it's, we see the numbers, we see these other federations, et cetera. You're there to make that, what do you, why do you need the women to ask you and right. convi convince you? Convince you, and that means there's no women on the inside. He's not gonna yeah. make the change from the inside in the but position of power. But not to mention that in. all of that growth has happened, not as a circumstance of their support, but indirect in spite, respite yes. of you. Mm -hmm. In spite you know, of it. all of these FAs and these that have been less than supportive of their teams, of their women's sides, who have fought to be where they are, who have paid their own ways in a mm -hmm. lot of ways, have been completely uncomfortable and expected to perform at top levels when they've never asked the same of the men's sides never. for their same countries and FAs and otherwise. We spoke with Sadella Mar Marley mm -hmm. about how she said that she would be personally holding the Jamaica FA accountable for making sure the women get paid. It's 2023. Christine, I'm, I'm getting a little emotional just speaking to you, you know, getting so angry about it because that is the fifth time I've heard him today and every time it just makes my blood boil. There's there's a lack of understanding, like he's, he's so disconnected to how we feel or how we have lived our lives um, as oppressed individuals. Um, it's just. I think that's probably the most damaging, I think, of the statements is the clear, the clarity in the way that he still looks at it as like, oh, you know, hey, I'm, it's I, our I'm problem, trying to empower you by saying this to you. Yeah. When we already know this, mm. it, you're not empowering us, you're just not helping us either. You're making us mad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's speaking probably the worst situation to be in, right? Okay, speaking of people who have spoken out and being upset about uh, some inequalities there, we'll be taking a closer look at Las Rojas of Spain next. Well, we can't talk about Spain in the final without talking about what happened off the field between the players and their coach, Jorge Vilda following poor results at the 2017 and 2019 Euros and the 2019 Women's World Cup. The players privately brought their concerns to the Federation, citing poor working conditions under Villa and a general lack of resources. The Spanish Federation then responded publicly by stating that the players were blackmailing them and would not be allowed back on the team unless they apologized. 15 players then released a public statement refuting any claims by the Federation and expressing dismay that a private matter had been made public. For the 2023 Women's World Cup, some returned following a call by Vilda, while others maintained that they would not return until their concerns were addressed and action was taken. A lot there to digest, Christine. Yeah, uh, yet again, we have an instance where, you know, Spain have managed to come this far despite rather than in support of their side. Uh, Vilda obviously was backed by the Federation and otherwise, whereas the team captains were tasked with bringing forth this letter representing 15 of their players, now known as Las Quince. Uh, I'm sure this will be a historical moment. At some point, we'll look back on where they actually managed to exact change. But 
they cited emotional, physical, and otherwise just damaging uh, trainings and things of that nature, though remained pretty vague. And um, everything got kind of pushed aside and said, hey, like, here, here's how this is going. Obviously, some players were still left off the roster, the majority of them kind of recanting and rejoining the squad. Uh, Puteas was actually out with an ACL injury at the time. She obviously was included in this side, but Paredes, uh, Guijido, and um, Hermoso were kind of the team captains tasked with delivering this letter that kind of fell upon deaf ears. Absolutely. Well, that's the off the field stuff. We're just going to focus more on the on the field because we do have a final on Sunday. So let's talk about who has impressed us on the Spain side. Obviously, a lot of players have contributed to the goals. We talked about nine different players scoring goals for the Spanish side. But Lisa, you wanted to talk about the center midfielder. I sure do. Midfielder Teresa Avera. She has been fantastic throughout this World Cup. She leads Spain in their pass completion and her crosses for this Spanish side. But I like to talk about her technique skills on the ball because in tight areas she's quick she's efficient she's got really good decision-making skills and her football IQ is top-notch she thinks ahead not just one or two passes but entire phases of the game and her ability to do that allows her not only to lead Spain but the entire World Cup in chances created she is the key mm. to the attack for Spain that is an incredibly good stat there I did not know that I mean, that's incredible for Spain. I'm um, pulling out all the fun stats. You do. Today's your day. Uh-huh. Spain are cooking with some heat. Darren, yeah. you want to talk about Salma. Bring it, bring it. Paruelo, our girl, she is leading the Spanish squad. I don't know how she hasn't started the last two games because she's come in and been a force to be reckoned with, scored goals, set up goals, um, and I think she brings something different to this Spanish team, they, they play how they play. We know exactly how they're going to come out. They're going to dominate possession. They're going to pass around you. It's going to be quick. But she brings some unpredictability. She's dynamic. She's incredibly fast. She goes 1v1. She has a really quick trigger on shots. And I think that's what this, this side has really been missing for a long time because teams come in and are like, well, we know what to do. They're going to play exactly like this. Let's just train it. And when she could, whether it's off the bench or she's starting, she just puts everybody on their butts, and I'm excited to see her in this final. I hope she gets the start. Do you think she'll start? Yes. I said Sam Kerr was going to start. She started. She's going to start. Ooh. Apparently, Darian just got, like, the pipeline and just the call. They called Darian and like, who do, you, who do we start, yeah, I'm like, Darian? Wait, who, okay, I'll bring it up. I'll bring it up. <laughs> it's those areas that are actually, like, uh, two New Zealand These are actually, um, yes, I'm speaking Bluetooth. with everybody in New Zealand and Australia. <laughs> well, they look amazing, and you're definitely getting your point across. So we'll see if she gets that start. But Chris Jenny Hermoso has been absolutely incredible for Spain. Over so 100 appearances, over 50 goals Ooh. scored. She's the highest goal scorer for both club and country. Absolutely insane. That, like, false nine attacking midfielder pipeline is alive and well. She's just a really exciting player. Like, I... I don't doubt she's had three goals this World Cup alone. I think that uh, this final is, is going to be hers. We're going to see a little show. It's going to be her time to shine in the yeah. midfield with Spain going up against the opposition uh, that's going to be placed with England. And, and this is her game with the technical ability and the possession that Spain wants to control throughout this final. It, it a lot falls on the foot of Jenny Hermosa. Mm -hmm. And I think she's got the right feet for it to fall to, quite frankly. I also <laughs> obviously like England are not shrugs. They're not going to just roll over for them. They're probably going to be a lot more rough and tumble than Spain are typically used to playing. But if you have, uh, just her movement, yeah, no, in, in Hermosa we trust. I think, too, the other 
we've talked a lot about Bon Mati coming into this tournament and how great she's been for Barcelona and for Spain in general. The focus has been on locking her out of games, and I think that's given Hermoso a lot of freedom to dictate the middle of the pitch and be an eight, a false nine, a 10, wherever she is, and she's on the ball constantly and distributing and setting up goals. And yeah, she's been on fire this tournament. Guys, so one of the biggest things that has been a big question mark for me is why their goalkeeper is number 23. So when I was on the national team, um, <laughs> what do you want her to be here? No, wait, when I was on the national zero. team, the, the numbers go, you know, 1 through 11 via right. starters, mm -hmm. um, 12, sorry, 1 through 11, 1 through 12 starters, and then the... Um, the next string and the next string, whatever. So their goalkeeper, Cole, is number 23. And so I started to look into it. I'm like, what, what is going on here? Turns out Rodriguez played the first group matches. Um, and then after she got scored on four goals by Japan, they then put Cole in. And this is her first, first World Cup. Right? World wow. Cup. Um, round of 16 was her first match, and she has taken over that starter position yeah. and has been absolutely incredible. Her ability to play with her feet uh, makes her defenders a little bit nervous, but she's been so consistent in the back line. So it's, it's something that I was like, something's going on, this number thing. I like it. That's also an insane, insane confidence boost to here. get your promotion essentially in the middle of oh, the World yeah. Cup. Into the round of 16. <laughs> right. Who would have thought? And she's been incredible. I mean, she's only 22 years old, by the way. So that's that's something. But um, Alexei Puteas is someone that we spoke so much about heading into this World Cup. And that's someone that was coming off of an injury. If we see her numbers um, during this World Cup so far, she only has one assist in 210 minutes played and no goals. Uh, not something that we expected to see from such a storied player. But she has been injured and she's coming back from that. Puteos is a player that can rise to the occasion. She's a game-time player that when the spotlight is on her, she will do that. She's got 11 goals in 10 Champions League games with Barcelona. She hasn't performed well at this World Cup. However, this is a final. The stage is bigger, the atmosphere is bigger, and it, it plays right into the hands of a player like this. If Puteos comes off the bench, if she gets the start, whatever it is, if there is a big moment, she is the type of player to rise to the occasion and dominate. Yeah, she hasn't gotten the start yet this tournament. Once. Once. One, one start. So I think, do we start her for no, the final? I don't, think, I don't do. think so. But I think that, yeah, to your point, if you're going into a final and you know that this is it, right? Like, whatever you got, you're using it in that Well, moment. let's ask New Zealand. What, what's yeah. the earpiece <laughs> telling you over there? So um, guys get the start? Yeah. <laughs> She's starting. <laughs> no, I actually do think she will start because I think her leadership going into a match is what's needed for them. And I don't know, she got the start last game. You saw she was a little upset coming off, mm -hmm. um, which I like that. Bring some fire into it. Of course, you're angry coming off of the field, especially a player of her caliber. And you're right, she does rise to these, to these occasions, and so many of her teammates look up to her and know that she can execute and come out. So I think she's going to start. So we'll be keeping an eye out whether Puteas starts and whether Salma starts and whether Darian got, got word from over there oh, what's man. happening there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, when we come back, we'll be talking about the other side of the field. The Lionesses are Euro champions, and we're going to see whether they can repeat and become world champions in this World Cup. That is Tori Penso, American referee, getting the news that she will be refereeing the final between Spain and England. And look at that emotion and what it means to her. Guys, players work for a moment like that. Referees work for a moment to be crowned to that moment as well, Darian. Yeah, it's, you love to see it. I got chills, even like get a little emotional because you see how much it means to her and 
it's something we don't recognize often how much work goes into being a referee. I'm always just like, dang, I would not want to be one because you're always <laughs> in the wrong. You're always in the wrong, no matter what you do. But right. um, I think it's incredible. American still made it in the finals. <laughs> Where do we get the ref we made shirts? It. Yeah. We were watching the final right. a referee shirt for an American. Booty Kit Friday next week is going to be us All in the ref. Who do I have to contact at the referee? Yeah. <laughs> maybe I'll try this here. I don't know. Maybe. We're going to have too much with that segment if we don't switch gears. Um, let's talk about England. Like we mentioned, the Lionesses, led by Serena Wegman, have been incredible. Um, but more incredible is Serena's. Uh, CV to get to this point. Mm. She previously coached the Netherlands, um, made them Euro champions. She was the runner-up for the 2019 Women's World Cup, losing to the United States 2-0. And then with England, she took over and became the Euro winner. And now in a World Cup final, that is the only time a coach has been double. Two different nations, two different World Cup finals. I mean, incredible. A legacy of success is what Serena Wiegmann leaves behind her everywhere she goes. And she's continued to level that up, right? You talked about the Netherlands and winning the Euros, falling short in the final. And now she hears with England repeating all of that. Her tactical adjustments on the fly, the trust she has in her players to believe in those tactical adjustments because she's been stubborn at times in the way that she wants to play with her team. We saw throughout this World Cup, though, that she switched formations with England when they were missing players and there needed to be more rotation. She not only trusted in herself and her staff, but in the players and their ability to believe in those tactical adjustments and, and live up to their potential despite potentially being out of position in that formation. I think that's the that shows what a great coach and manager she is as well when you can really weather storms you have players that are injured have gone down in games have red cards for various reasons and you can still come out on top and make changes where your team has the full trust in your ability and your vision and are going to go on the field 100% and give it their all it's it's just shows how what a great leader she is. Something that Lisa mentioned there is their ability to change and the trust she has. So the change from the four-back to the three-back she mentioned in a press conference came as an idea from the assistant coach, which is something that they had worked on back in April and they hadn't worked since then. And then the assistant coach goes, hey, this is a good time to bring back the three-back. And she goes... Okay, so to, again, have faith in your staff, have faith in your players to be able to do something that you've worked on months ago uh, is... The, the, a great leader, as Darian says, to be able to, to do that. So, and the humility to say to your assistant coach, yeah, that's a great idea. Let's exactly. do it in a World Cup. Exactly. That We have a lot of brilliant managers in the world, but I think that a lot of them lack that humility, and sometimes it becomes yes. just this sort of detached ego that's managing a side, and she hasn't lost that. She is very much locked in. Even, I mean, just changing formations, but playing with a strike pair that she hadn't planned on doing was just like, where did you... I'm in awe of her, and I don't very often kind of sit there and be like, oh, at a manager. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I'm more impressed usually by the, the appearances and performances on field. But she just, she's got everything. She's taken every major side, I think less like Olympics, to, to finals. Mm -hmm. That's, who can say that they've done that? Mm -hmm. Well, the thing is, we, we've all been players. So we've all been managed by someone. And listening in on Serena's press conference, the way that she speaks, um, producer Jen Calhoun and I were talking, and we're ready to run through a wall for her because mm -hmm. it's genuine. You know, the way that she speaks about her players, about the opponent even, very respectfully. Um, I don't know, as people who have been managed, it matters. The way that you're spoken to, the way you're spoken about behind your back or, or in front of the cameras, that kind of 
makes you willing to run through a wall for her. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think when you have a good manager that even when circumstances, everything can go wrong. So you have a poor training facility, the weather's crap, I don't, I, whatever's happening, you're late, there's a delay. If you have a manager that can get you riled up and bought in at any moment, that's when you know you have a solid team and everybody's really bought in and trusting you. And it's, it's so much more fun and enjoyable to play for a manager like that as well, where they've got us. Whatever's going to happen, we're together. We're going to figure it out. I completely agree with that, Darian. Um, Lauren James returns. That is the big headline Ooh. here. Lisa, I'll start with you here, and I want, I want some quick reactions. Do you start her? Yes. Do you start her? Yep. Yes. Okay, well, we're all in agreement <laughs> yes. there. Now we need to talk about that one. Um, Serena, start her. You're good. We're fine. Did you just want to send that message real yeah. quick, Serena, you hear me? Okay, girl. Oh, you know? Okay, good. All right. Lisa, let's talk about um, some big players that are going to be important in this match for England for them to get the World Championship if it's to be. Um, Alex Greenwood has stood out to you. Defender Alex Greenwood has done a tremendous job. We talked about the tactical switch for England. She's one of the players that adjusted so well going from a four-back to a three-back. She stayed tight in her line next to Millie Bright. Mm -hmm. She sits in good positions and anticipates the pass in order to pick it off. And then in possession, Greenwood is calm on the ball. She can dribble out of pressure. She's got really good ball control, and she's one of the best ball-playing center backs in the world. She's got a 90% pass completion rate. She is a key player for this England side to build the ball out of the back and push it forward into the attacking presence of the field. I love that we're doing this defender appreciation oh, panel yeah. here because <laughs> I did not hear you earlier that you had selected center back there, but uh, I <laughs> chose Millie Bright. And those who cannot defend appreciate the defenders even more. No, she's, she's an absolute beast. And so I, I think she's had a lot of really good matches. But what stood out to me even against Australia, you can't let her... You cannot give her the space, the time. She will send that ball way down and change everything about what you thought you were doing. I just, I have such an appreciation for her. She's just such a toughie, and I appreciate that too, because I'm like, you need, you need to be a little bit mean as a defender. Christine, I think she had that diagonal ball. Uh, Millie Bright had the diagonal ball to Lauren Hemp's mm -hmm. eventual yes. goal. Mm -hmm. yep. um, and she has the ability to pull that out of nowhere. Exactly. Yeah. So and that's from deep. Like, you can't, yep. uh, you wouldn't think so much like, hey, I need to close in on this defender. That's silly. Well, no, do not. Do not give her Especially the room, the space, the Especially in the defensive half of the field. Yeah. Right. Do not. It would be the greatest error of your life. And so if Spain are smart, they've watched that tape several times and they know exactly what they need to do because... Um, you you can't sleep on her. It is tough to press on a center back, mm. a center center back though, um, as an attack. So even if you are playing as a three or a two, it's very hard mm -hmm. to yeah. press that and, and close down the right. Exactly, close that diagonal. That's I a know. very difficult one to press. But Darian, Rachel Daly, Rachel Daly, somewhat of a d defender, wing back. We can call her <laughs> that. I want to be a part of the trio. <laughs> Please let me in. Um, no, I think Rachel Daly hasn't been really given the credit for how much work she does. So we all know her, especially in the NWSL, as being a top goal scorer, which she still is being wingback. She's in the six, she's in the 18, she's getting on the ends of crosses and then tracking all the way back to her defensive 18. And she's a playmaker. She rarely loses possession of the ball. Um, you hate to play against her, but you love her on your team. She's a hard hitter. I think she comes with really good energy, and she's been a really big focal point for this English, English squad. And clearly, wherever she is on the field, she's 
making a difference. And, She's such yeah. a team player to be able Very to play much. in the back line in a back four as a wing back up front. She mm -hmm. can play all the positions. Yeah, dynamic. incredibly important to be dynamic, to be versatile, um, and as you mentioned, very difficult to play against Hate her, it. Darian. Yeah. It was worse. Hate it. It's, it was but rough. Played against her in college. Yeah. It was not great. <laughs> yeah, Dang. I think we all in unison were like, ooh, you don't want to play against her. <laughs> no playing with her. Sounds great. Uh, but guys, when we return, we will have Philippines national team member Riley Bougay speaking about her experience at the World Cup. The Philippines national team absolutely captured our hearts this World Cup, having their first World Cup qualification, their first goal, their first win. It's been an absolute year of first for them. And now we welcome in Philippines national team member Riley Bougay. Riley, welcome in. First of all, how long did it take to get over the jet lag? <laughs> well, it, it took about a week. I'm still, still adjusting to a normal sleep schedule. Well, so many of us Americans have ties to the countries that our parents and our grandparents are from. Um, what does it mean to you to be a dual national and have represented the Philippines in this World Cup? It really means the world to me. I think this has been such a special experience, not only because of what I've been able to do, but this has been a chance to reconnect with my heritage. So there's kind of two parts to this. Um, my uh, grandfather was actually born in the Philippines, and so to me, it's uh, extremely special because not only was he a physician um, and I am kind of following his footsteps, but I'm also able to, you know, reconnect, reconnect with that heritage and represent that heritage. Riley, that's so incredible. You are such an impressive person and athlete. And as you'd mentioned, you're following the footsteps of your grandfather in medical school and while playing. How has that looked like for you with connecting to your heritage and keeping that connection with your grandfather alive? Um, it's really been surreal. Um, I think one of the best parts is when, you know, you, you keep in touch with family members over social media, but, you know, then since I've been able to have this experience, I've gone to the Philippines a few times um, now, and I've been able to reconnect with relatives and see relatives that um, are living in the Philippines. So that's extremely special as well. Riley, how did this come about? Because uh, I played with you in college and it, you started joining the Philippines national team in 2018. And now I'm watching you on my big screen at the World Cup. When did you realize, hey, I can play for this team and hey, we're actually gonna make it into the World Cup in 2023? Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I first started with the national team in 2018, like you said, um, it was just kind of a happy co coincidence. I went to Marquette University and played with you. And um, a scout and a former head coach was looking for to expand his pool of Filipino players. And he was actually a Marquette graduate. And so when my name popped up, he said, oh, let me reach out. And I went to a tryout in California and um, eventually made the squad. And then the if we fast forward to 2022, um, we had our AFC and our World Cup qualifications and it was just I, I think it was just, we're the story of the underdogs. I mean, we, we kind of sum up that persona perfectly. We weren't supposed to, you know, be there. We weren't supposed to make history, but we, we did. And we ended up beating Chinese Taipei and, and eventually qualified for the World Cup. Riley, I personally always root for the underdogs. So what you have managed as a squad has been incredibly impressive. And Jenny obviously brought you into a whole number of really impressive firsts for the squad as a whole, but for you, as a first-time World Cup player, 
What was your favorite moment that maybe hasn't been mentioned or sort of an achievement that kind of been brushed aside that you're kind of holding close to your heart for this World Cup? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I think Did you I think it's kind of the moment for me was um, I mean, for the team, obviously, the, the game against New Zealand was um, obviously a moment of first. It was the first time we ever had a first World Cup win, the first time we've ever scored a goal, scored a goal in the World Cup. But for me, like stepping onto the field for that first time in that game was very special to me because after that moment happened, I can I officially say, oh, I've played in a World Cup. I can officially call myself a World Cup athlete. And just being able to say that out loud is very surreal. What is something that you've kind of recognized about Philippine culture that you maybe didn't know before now that you're with your teammates day in and day out? Um, I think the biggest word that comes to mind when I get this question is passion. Um, I think Filipinos have this very much a very spirited personality. And no matter what it is, whether it be sports, whether it be culture, whether it be food, whether it be time with family, we're always filled with this passion. And I think reconnecting with that and rekindling and discovering that um, has been a great experience with this. Philippines had a milestone World Cup with everything they were done, they have done and you have done. Um, this team has been put on the map and so many people are now recognizing the Philippines as a national team. But as a player on the Philippines national team, what do you want the world to know about this team and this nation? Um, I think when we when we first qualified for the World Cup, we kind of set goals for ourselves. And and I think one of the things that we kind of established, like you said, we captured some of the hearts of, I think, the world. But I think going forward as a player and as a team, I think we want to show and continue to show the world that we can compete with some of the best teams in the nation. Um, we told ourselves in the, at the very beginning that we weren't just going to appear at this World Cup. We didn't just want to come in and um, just play our three games. We wanted to actually compete with some of these teams. So going forward, I think we hope to continue that trend and show that the Philippines football is worth investing in, is worth watching, and because we can compete with the best teams in the world. Absolutely. You guys definitely proved that, and I'm so excited that you were on our show today. Um, thank you so much for joining us, Riley. Thank you. When we come back, we have Sandra Herrera. You're not going to want to miss it. Welcome back into Attacking Third. This is Sportsline's odds to win the final. Very close. They have Spain barely edging here. 53.8% in England with 46.2%. I mean, that is a close, close match there for them. Who knows? They have Spain on top, guys. That's the biggest news there. Um, for more on that, we will bring in CBS Sports reporter Sandra Herrera. Sandra, do you think it's going to be that close? Absolutely. Look, of all the 32 teams that participated in this tournament, who would have imagined that we'd get a Royal Rumble for the final, Jenny? His Majesty's the King's Cup, a monarch. <laughs> Let me stop. But for real, look, this is the Women's World Cup. These are the two teams that are in outrageous form and absolutely the two best squads remaining. They're two teams that have typically controlled possession in their matches throughout the tournament. So I'm really curious if we'll see a little less open play as the two battle it out for the ball. But I'm mostly excited uh, for the individual battles that are going to be on the pitch. You know, what are we going to see between Bonmati and, and Walsh or Hemp and Paredes? Um, you know, I'd like some goals, but I think this one might be a little tense in the early stages and maybe a bit more narrow of a scoreline in the end. Well, who's your player to watch in this one? 
Um, who has to stand out, Sandra? Uh, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna keep my eye on Alessia Russo for my player to watch in the final. You know, the central forward. She's she's been part of an attacking trio alongside Hemp and Elatune that have been absolutely clicking in the knockout rounds. Uh, she's got three goals, two of those in the knockout stages, and she leads the team right now in total shots with 22 and an XG at 2.25. Shoot or shoot. And, uh, you know, they're going to need her to do that. And, you know, I anticipate that she's going to try to maybe be that extra outlet for hemp, uh, you know, in the event that Spain tries to overload in, in some moments. And, and Ella Toon as well. You know, she's going to be a player that's going to need to step up, you know, as, as I mentioned, an attacking trio as a whole. I think hemp is going to be targeted a lot. Toon has been relied upon a lot in James's absence. Lauren James, as she served that red card suspension, um, she slotted into the attacking role and has been really, really successful so far. But I think it's, uh, it's, it's Russo who's going to have to come up big. Sandra, I'm sticking with the Lionesses. Head coach Serena Vigman has a lot of responsibility. You mentioned Ella Toon. Lauren James is also back. Who starts? Does Lauren James get the start? Ella Toon, what do you see in that number 10 role? Yeah, I think we're going to still see Toon slotted in in the 10. I think that's a little bit of the champagne problems that we've alluded to with both of these teams as far as their bench and the player rotation that we've seen among them. So I think Serena Wigman is going to go ahead and kind of keep the team as she's had rolling out there in terms of the what could be considered an ideal starting 11. Um, if anything that we've seen out of Wigman in her management of this side is that she's been able to coach everyone up in terms of understanding their roles, that it is going to take all 23 players, even if you might not get the start. So I see tune in over James. Sandra, we're talking about having champagne problems. Completely agree, but I'm going to go with the Spanish side. Do you start Periuelo or do you bring her off the bench? Because she has been a force off of the bench, but I think she brings some dynamic difference to a pretty predictable Spanish side, especially against an English backline. What do you think? I'm with you. I really would like to see her kind of build up over the course of the 90 minutes. But the unfortunate thing about that, Darian, is you and I aren't the coach build as a coach and <laughs> yeah. i just don't have actually <laughs> i think but it's still going to be that player to come on off the bench especially if maybe they're taking a look at this england side and who they can have coming off the bench and i think that's where james is a little bit of that x factor for them mm -hmm. and they maybe want to keep that x factor for spain well um it's beneficial about vodko andonovsky do you have any thoughts on him departing um you know just tough situation all around. I think in covering this four years with, with Andonovsky, there's always been a little bit of this, this aura of like the most uh, nice coach to cover. And it just made it really annoying <laughs> at various parts of, of, of the coverage um, because of all of the really kind of tough tactics that we saw just never kind of come and play out. Uh, I think there was a, la a layer of hope in having this coach plucked from the NWSL and sort of be able to see that kind of transition from club to the international level. You don't want to just see that for the players. Maybe you want to see that for the coaches as well who are coming out of this league. And he kind of fell short of that. I mean, there are some people who are going to venture to say that that's a complete failure. But I think there's two sides of that coin. I think you can point out and pluck out all of the areas and criticize 
those moments in which he didn't succeed. But there are some other things here that happened under his tenure. We saw this player pool expand in ways that we didn't really see before in the past under previous coaches. A lot more younger players, newer names getting their first caps under him. Having to navigate a pandemic isn't easy. That really kind of, I think, kind of sh shook things up in terms of the cycle that he was supposed to have in front of him. But at the end of the day, the decisions and the tactics fall on the coach and their staff. And that just didn't pan out in not just one, but two major tournaments. Yes, he coached this team back to the Olympic podium and they got a bronze medal, but they weren't able to build on that in this World Cup. And if anything, they made a different type of history that they were trying to avoid. So it's going to be, I think, a lot of uh, mixed results. I think the bigger picture of it all isn't going to be appreciated till sometime down the road. But in terms of getting those results, getting the trophies, getting the titles, it didn't happen. Sandra, we still have this third place match ahead of us. So Australia, Sweden, what do you make of that? Who do you think is going to sort of still show out? I know that a lot of times we kind of overshadow the third place match because it's kind of like, oh, you brush this to the side, you forget it's happening. Obviously, we still have, um, you know, a few star players there that we're going to want to see. What do you expect to come out of that match? I expect a good match. You know, I think you've got the Matildas who are going to try to make sure that they close out their tournament in a really strong way. They still have the attention of the country, right? The hearts of the nation behind them as they go into this third place match. We've seen players kind of allude to that a little bit, saying, hey, stick with us. We've still got another game to play. And if you're Sweden, I think you want them to also go ahead and kind of have a similar mindset in the sense where it's like they have to play another third place game, but they're also not used to kind of failing when they get to that level either, even if it is kind of a consolation match. So for them and their program, I'm sure they're going to want to go out uh, in third place as well, but Australia is not going to make it easy. And I think they absolutely want to get that third place finish as co-hosts. Before we get to the third place game, the World Cup final on Sunday morning, NWSL is back, baby. We have a top of the table battle, Portland Thorns, North Carolina Courage, who jumps to the first. What's your quick prediction there, Sandra? Look, we've had some time apart from the regular season. Yes, there's been some Challenge Cup play, but I think there's going to be some getting back into the mix of things. There's going to be some players kind of getting back into the fold of the regular season grind. I hate to say it, but I think this one has the makings of a draw. Ooh. Don't do the that. The same as their uh, first meeting in the regular season? That was a 3-3. Don't Sa do that, Lisa. Wow. No, Lisa, Lisa and Sandra, don't do this right now. We're not doing the, the draw stuff well, here. Sandra uh, said, I Sandra, hope everybody has so a good much. time. <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. We'll see you again on Monday, Sandra. Thanks, y'all. Take it easy. All right, guys, the next time we see you guys, we'll be wrapping up the World Cup final on Monday. That's one you're not going to want to miss. We will have a world champion on Monday.